We are a one church who's meeting right now in a whole bunch of different places. So we want to be one of heart as we worship. Uh, we're in different locations. So <clears throat> glad you guys could join us however you're joining. Let's begin by our shouts. What do we do? Love God and love others. What do we say? I love God and I love you. That is truly the statement of my heart, you guys. I love God so much and I love you. And I am so glad that I get to be here this morning. In 1998, there was a man named James Hill. Uh, he decided to take on a bunch of debt so they could buy a property at auction. And the property was like this abandoned, long dormant mine that like hadn't yielded anything in a century or something. And his friends all thought he was crazy. They thought he was dumb. They thought his purchase was a waste. But he bought this abandoned mine at auction, and then he goes and he starts to dig. Not long after he started to dig, he found a cache of emeralds in his mine. So he kept digging and digging, and eventually he pulls out 3,300 carats of emeralds from this abandoned mine that he picked up for a couple hundred thousand dollars. And uh, those, those emeralds turned out to be some of the best in, North, in all of North America, yielding him millions of dollars in return. And then a, little, a couple of years later, he went digging some more, and he found some, some more emeralds, and so his mind continues to give him more and more emeralds. There's a picture of him right here, in case you didn't know he was real. Uh, that's, uh, that's James Hill right there. Man, he won the lottery of emeralds. I... Like, that kind of thing, it really always excites me. I don't know if you guys, do you ever watch Storage Wars, where they go into, like, the abandoned storage unit, and they're hoping to find something, or they go into someone's old attic, and they're, they're looking for some, like, precious kind of thing? That always, I don't know why, but that always seems so cool to me, to be able to find, like, some treasure out of something that looked like it was nothing or whatever, or they pull off an old painting, and there's, like, a Rembrandt under there, and they're like, oh, my gosh, it's $100 million, and I'm like, whoa. Or that Antiques Roadshow, Grandma had this vase, and they're like, this vase is from Egypt in pre-BC. You're a millionaire. And they're like, yay. And I don't know if you guys like those shows too, but I love those things because it's kind of like this. Finding a treasure is like really exciting. And, and that's not just true today. Jesus knew that was true in people's lives. So he gave this parable in, recorded in Matthew 13. He says, the kingdom of God is just like that. He says, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is like this treasure that's hidden in the field. And then when this guy finds it, like he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and he sold all that he had and he bought that field. So Jesus once again uses a parable about a field to describe the kingdom of heaven. This time comparing it to this treasure that's found in this field. Now, we've talked about a lot of different aspects over the last three weeks about what God's kingdom is like. Kingdom of heaven was like, and we heard all sorts of different things, that it's growing, the kingdom of heaven is future, that there's this judgment time. So we've talked about all these kind of things. We talked about the kingdom of heaven having citizens, and that was us, and we want to increase in citizens and increase in our citizens' strength. But one of the really cool things about God's heaven uh, is, is that it's not just a future hope. But, the, but it's kingdom life and kingdom benefits here and now. See, the key component, kingdoms have to have a citizen. But what is the absolute necessary thing in a kingdom? It has to have a king. It's literally named after, right? It's a kingdom. And, and a key component to being a kingdom saint is that I get to have a relationship with the king. And nothing compares to that relationship with him. Listening to his voice, having his peace, his power, his joy, and his love. It is the best 
possible life now, even today. Yes, there's a future component. That's awesome, and I love it. But, but the Bible says that, that it is the best possible life today. Jesus says this, and it's recorded in John 10.10. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it abundantly or have it to the full in John 10.10. The omnipotent, all-wise creator of the universe is ruling over all things for your joy. He's working everything for your good. He's connecting in a loving, loving relationship to you Like, that's the treasure we're talking about. The kingdom of heaven is not just a treasure. It is the treasure. Far more valuable than anything the world has to offer. So I think this this parable sparks the imagination of the listeners. It was common in this time uh, period to hide money or other belongings, to actually just bury it because the banking system is, is just beginning and it wasn't anything like it was now. To secure your money, you would often bury it on your property because there was sometimes hard living around. There were, there were people who were out to get you. There was the governments, uh, especially for the Israelites, who had conquered them and they were always looking to tax them and they would hide their money lest someone take it, lest someone with more power abuse that power and come and grab your money. So it would have been really common back in this time to bury your wealth. That's, that's the best way, the most secure way to, to keep it safe. Especially compared to now, I don't think we bury our wealth a lot, right? So that at that time, there would there'd be a stash of valuables that would be buried, and, and maybe you don't tell anyone about it, because what? If you tell anyone about it, they're going to go dig up your wealth and, and steal from you. And so oftentimes, people would die with these secrets that the, where they had buried their wealth on the property, and the next person would come along and get it. So I'm not sure it's, it's true that people still don't bury their wealth. I had an Aunt Anne who died, a great Aunt Anne, and when my dad and his brother went to her house, like they were starting to clean it, and they, they went through the oatmeal jar, and the oatmeal jar had some cash inside there. And they're like, oh, that's really weird. And they were going through some other drawers, and, and behind another drawer there was some jewelry. And under her bed or under her mattress there was some more cash. And in these old pillowcases that she had stacked in her closet, there was cash between them. And they were like, what is going on? And so my great aunt, Anne, she was living, I, maybe she was from the Bible days. She was pretty old, I don't know. Uh, but all through her house. And I imagine someone's going to renovate that house one day. And they're going to pull it off and there's like gold bars. Like, like I was like, Dad, you didn't tear the house down? Like, I, I think I would have had to tear the house down. I would have gone crazy if I, you know, some missing jewelry or something. But so apparently it does happen. And when my dad told me that story, man, I, I love that story. It gets me excited. I was like, oh, I wish I was there. I'll be like searching for every part of it. So uh, at, at Jesus' times, uh, the local laws and customs seem to suggest that whatever is uh, in the field, the treasure that's in the field, actually stays in the field. And uh, it's considered part of that field. And if it's removed from the earth, the, the, it belongs to whoever, rem- not the person who removes it, it belongs to the person who owns the field. So in other words, the, the treasure here can't just simply be taken. That would be theft. So however, if the, the landowner sold the land, then not only is the land theirs, but everything that's buried inside of the land would be the person who purchases the land. So this is the understanding of the day. The new owner would be legally free to, to find and dig up any treasures that he found on his now new land. Now, I, I don't know about this parable, and I don't know why that guy is like on someone else's field, and, and uh, it seems a little shady where he sees it and he buries it and doesn't tell the owner. So the Bible's not talking about that shadiness. That's not the point of the parable. And so I'm not sure why he's there. I'm not sure if he was ha- hired help, you know, work in the field. I don't know if he was like maybe just passing through or maybe he was looking around to buy a field and he was checking it out and he's like, ooh, that looks pretty good. 
I know they do that in storage words. They look in there and they see, oh, there's a case there, there's a case there. So maybe that was the case, we don't know. Whatever the reason, this guy finds this amazing treasure, like, like that emerald's kind of in the beginning that I mentioned from James Hill. And uh, he finds this treasure. And he knows it's, a, it's incredibly valuable. So the, in, the, in the parable, Jesus says he goes home and he sells everything he owns to then go purchase this field. So he sells everything he owns. And when we're talking about everything, he sells his house, he sells his furniture, he sells his sheep, he sells his prized like Star Wars figurine set, like everything he can do, he sells everything to get cash to buy this land. And he took that cash, he goes and he buys this field. Now I was thinking about it and I was wondering if, I wonder if he lays awake like a, during those days before escrow closes and he's like, man, I can't wait to get in there, I can't wait to see what you know, get that treasure, that kind of stuff, and he's, he's excited about this. Notice that the man sold everything. He was left with nothing. He said in his life there was nothing that mattered. What mattered was getting this treasure in a field. And he knew that that treasure was better than his home. It was better than his belongings. It was better than everything that he had currently had in his life. And he was willing to leave all of that so he could go get this treasure. Make sure to notice how he did it, though. Grab that verse back up on the screen here. In his joy, he went out and he sold uh, all that he had, and he bought the field. He didn't do it out of compulsion. He didn't, and, and we're about to make a spiritual parallel in just a second. He didn't do these things because he had to, because it was duty, because like, there was guilt. He did it out of joy. He saw this thing that was amazing, and he said, nothing I have is, is even comparable to that. I'm going to sell everything. And as he was selling it, he's like more and more excited. He's like, dude, this is so good. i got to get rid of this stuff so I can go get this amazing treasure. The point is that the kingdom of heaven is, is worth trading everything a person owns in order to come in possession of it and to do it with this incredible joy. The parable isn't a plea for us to like sell everything in order to buy God. For we truly have nothing to offer God. We can't buy the kingdom. That's not the point. The point is a call for us to desire the kingdom of heaven more than anything else. See, the person who, who receives the treasure of the kingdom of heaven wants it more than they want anything else. In other words, there's a condition to having the kingdom. There's a condition for having the king on your side and as your friend. But the condition isn't wealth, it's not power, it's not intelligence, influence, or eminence. Rather, the condition is that you want the prize of the kingdom more than you want anything else. See, the condition is just like, hey, I see this, God, I see you, God, and I want you more than I want my own sin. I want you more than I want my own comfort. I want you more than I want my own retirement plan. God, I want you more than I want anything else. That's the condition for the kingdom of heaven. He says you want to be a kingdom saint. That's your attitude. You say, God, I want you more than I want anything else. When we discover that we can enter God's kingdom, we have a choice to make. Just as the guy in the field did, he could have seen what was in the field and looked at it and said, nah, not worth it. I'm going to go with the things I already have. And we have the same choice. We can, we can see the treasure, we can shrug and go back to our regular way of life if we want, or 
We can see God's kingdom full of peace and love, forgiveness, freedom and joy. And we can want that more than anything else. Consider the words of Jim Elliot. Jim Elliot says, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. The emphasis is, is not on what we give up, but the unfathomable new life that's being offered. See, there's no, there's no comparison. I'm not like, man, but I have to give up these things. No, it's like, look at that and forget you. Look at that. And I do it with this great joy. The kingdom of God is so valuable that losing everything on earth, but getting the kingdom, it's a happy trade-off. It's not one like, oh, I don't know. Uh, nope. It's like, dude, God, once we realize how good God's kingdom and God is, and that relationship with it, nothing else matters. The Apostle Paul expresses it this way in Philippians. He says, but whatever were gains to me previously in my life, I now consider them lost for the sake of Christ. What's more is I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider those other things garbage, that I may gain Christ. In the parable, the man sells everything so he can have the kingdom. In Philippians 3, Paul suffers loss of all things so that he could gain Christ. I think those are virtual, identical realities. See, the same thing is happening here. The point here is if, if it costs you everything you have to get Jesus, it's worth it. Now, Jesus isn't saying that God requires people to be penniless. He's not saying that, that he wants you to own nothing as a Christian. That's not the point of the parable. Rather, he's saying you should be willing to do anything and that God's priority kingdom is higher than every other. Here's how Jesus says it when he's talking to his disciples. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple, they got to deny themselves. They must take up their cross daily and follow me. Because whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life will, uh, for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their very self? So Jesus says that to follow him, we must be like this man in the parable, willing to give up everything for the sake of Christ. He says that nothing compares in value to this new life that the king wants to give you in this kingdom. You shouldn't love anything or anyone more than you love the king, God himself. See, that's the greatest treasure. The treasure isn't in, the, in, in heaven, per se, or in a tangible thing like gold or silver. The treasure is a relationship with God. The treasure is salvation through Jesus Christ and a new way to live and an eternity that is perfect and amazing. So bottom line, God's kingdom is worth more than anything. But how about a reality check in our life? What's it worth to you? Will you sell everything to obtain it? See, one measure of worth is what you're willing to give up to get it. That's how one of the measures of worth. What are you willing to give up to get this thing? 
And when I say sell everything and sacrifice, that means something different for everyone. I don't know what that looks like for you. I really don't. That's your journey to figure out with God. And part of the answer always lies in the journey to get that answer. See, when I first knelt down by my bed, God did a miraculous work in my life where where I saw his love for the first time. I I knelt on my bed, and I I knelt by my bed, and I gave my life to Jesus, and I I told him that I would do anything, and I will go anywhere for you, Jesus. You can have my whole life if you love me enough to care about, even my, at that time, someone give me some shoes. If you care about my feet, I will give everything to you. And ultimately, that led to me becoming a pastor. Now, I don't think that God calls everyone to be a pastor. I, I don't think that's the that's necessarily the sacrifice that he's asking. That's not the sell everything for you. That's why I say the sell everything moment is different for each of us. And that journey looks different for every one of us. And so I know that sometimes when I share that, I don't know if that always parallels most of our church's life because most of our church isn't going to become pastors. And, and so because of that, I sort of think about other people in my life who, who are reflecting the same kind of call from God even though they didn't become pastors. And I, I was thinking this week about... Uh, this guy at our church uh, named um, Peter Chang. Many of you know Peter Chang. Like, here's a guy who's been following Jesus for most of his life, and he serves this church regularly. Peter's, he's on our leadership board. He uh, joined that uh, Building Search Tiger team as they're searching out for where God would have us be. He's, uh, he coordinates our small groups, and then he attends it. And that's like a weekly kind of thing. He, he, every week he's drumming in the praise band. He uh, attends the men's weekly prayer meeting, and and if you're ever at an event here at church, uh, Peter's probably there. People have joked by calling him Pastor Peter, (laughs) and and I don't disagree. I I told him the other day that it's just a matter of semantics. (laughs) I think he does more than I do. (laughs) He loves his neighbors. He works at his job with like integrity and, and hard work and honesty. He leads his family spiritually. He thinks actively about the kingdom of God. And I, and I don't say all that just to give him a big head. He's actually sitting here. I mean, he's already got a pretty big... Uh, no, he's really humble. He doesn't have a big head at all if you've met him. Uh, you'll think he's like amazing, just like I do. And I, so I, I pump all that up, not to say like... Um, not, to, not to make him be big-headed, but to say that, that that's what that journey looks like in his life. See, it isn't, wasn't to become a pastor. It's to become a, an amazing architect and, and a builder of a church in, in different ways and to serve God and to give it all to God in different ways than, than I do. And that's going to look different for each one of us. But God is asking us the same bottom line, though. Is his kingdom or the things of this world more important to each of us? And, and I bring up uh, Peter because over the last few months, he's been sharing this like phrase that God's been putting on his heart. So over the past past few months, uh, God's been putting on Peter's heart this idea to leverage everything. And he shared that a couple times in the leadership board meeting. I I wrote it on a post-it note, and it's sitting in my my, uh, office, also known as my bedroom. Uh, So it's sitting in my office, (laughs) and, uh, and, and I'm thinking about this idea, and I think that's actually absolutely exactly right for what we're talking about today. To leverage everything to get God's kingdom and to build God's kingdom. See, the kingdom of God is like this treasure in a field. Let's leverage everything to get that treasure, but then leverage everything in service to the treasure, God's kingdom. And so 
our heart check reality is today, does God have your 100% commitment? Does he have your whole heart? Do, do you desire his kingdom more than anything else? Are you willing to sell it all to get a hold of his kingdom in this relationship? Are we living fully for him? Are you leveraging everything for the sake of God's kingdom? Look, I want to be like that guy in the parable, joyfully letting go of the riches of this world to obtain the true treasure. I want to be like Apostle Paul, considering everything garbage compared to God's kingdom. And I want to be like Peter Chang, willing to leverage everything for heaven. Like, what an exciting, freeing way to live. And so, as I'm thinking about this, I know I want God to stir in me in such a way that I can say, God, I, I saw that. I got a glimpse of the treasure, and I want that more than I want anything else. I want that more than I want my college education. I want that more than I want a future marriage. God, I want your kingdom more than I want anything, more than I want success for me or a name for me or a 401k or anything. God, I want you more than anything. See, the parable is given to highlight a reality, a necessity in our life that, that if we want to follow God, we've got to say, God, I want, I want you more than anything. And I'm willing to do anything to follow you and, and get right with you and to have you as my God, the king of the kingdom that I'm a citizen in. So just pause a second right now as we close it. And just pause and say, God, well, honestly, what I want you to say is, God, I'm ready to give you everything. Your treasure is better than anything. That's what I pray. That's your prayer's heart. Every person that hears this or is involved with our church, or even if you're not and you just pass by online, that you could hear that and say, God, I'm ready to give you everything. And God says, I'm ready for this incredible abundance for your life. And I'll tell you, God's got something better for you than you have for you. And so that's a joyful trade. To grab that kingdom, that's better than anything you were holding before. You were holding dirt, and God offers emeralds. Which one do you want to hang on to? Pray for just a second, then we're going to stand and, and rejoice and sing a song together. Thank you.